Welcome to week two of Significant. Uh, this is a really cool collection. Like Hannah said before, it's one of the longest collections I think that we're going to do, 10 weeks. And uh, because there's a lot that happens in Scripture that Jesus did to us, we hear the stories and it's normalized. It's, you go, oh well, yeah, of course, that's what Jesus is because we hear these things, right? But sometimes, just because it's been retold to us and we weren't there in the moment, things can be missed, right? Things can be discounted. Things can be displaced that were extremely significant to what was happening on earth at the time, what God was trying to do, what Jesus was doing in us, through us, around us. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of fun walking through this collection together. And so today, I want to talk about everybody's favorite subject, uh, temptation, right? Everybody like that. Uh, temptation. It's usually when I say the word, you immediately think, oh yeah, I was tempted to do this. Like you immediately start thinking like the thing that the last thing you were tempted to do and you like feel guilty about it and you're like, oh, I'm sorry, God. But to me, this is what temptation is. It is an invitation to embrace self-interest. An invitation to embrace self-interest, right? I say self-interest and not selfishness because rarely does any human go, man, I want to be selfish today. Now, I understand if you're in a place where somebody has hurt you, you've suffered some kind of trauma, uh, something like that, and you're angry, right? And you want to be selfish, right? Sometimes selfishness can kind of look like self-care. You need a little self-care, you need some time to yourself. You need to say no to some things. I completely encourage that. We don't say no enough. I think we say no more in life. We would be a lot healthier, a lot more rejuvenated if we can't stop saying yes to everything. Um, but that's where we're at. So I'm, not, so I'm not necessarily tempted, even though I have temptations and I fall into temptations, I'm not tempted to be selfish. I'm tempted into self-interest, right? So I wouldn't, normally what we do when we have a temptation, we don't call it temptation, um, but I'll do something selfish, right? And I'll feel bad about it, right? Self-interest, I'll indulge in whatever it is, and I feel selfish. And I'll go, man, that was just for me, and that was wrong. And like, not only is it affecting the people around me, but it pushes me further from God, right? And so then it, it gives me this icky feeling inside, right? On the opposite, and we don't really draw attention to that. We don't walk and say, guys, I was tempted today, and I fell for it, right? And I'm, I just, it happened, right? We don't do that. But when we do something that's not selfish, that's, not, that's in the interest of others, and we all do, it's okay to admit it, right? And you do something that's selfless, we go, man, I'm awesome, right? <laughs> man, I did really great today. I did some good things today, right? We, we do that. We embellish on it, but we never focus on the other side. So in pursuit of self-interest, here is the rub. Here is the problem, the catch to it, is that we hurt ourselves when we just constantly are responding to temptations, and we end up hurting others, truly. We end up hurting the people around us, how, depending on how much we indulge in whatever it is. Uh, some of us to the point where an intervention was necessary, that you get so into the path of temptation and giving into it, an intervention needs to happen now. We are all capable of finding ourselves in a place where we need intervention. Some of us, it's just we've responded to something too much, too quickly, and we end up in that place. And luckily, we have people in our lives that love us enough to have an intervention. But in the end, if we respond to it too much, if temptation is something that is overwhelming to us, 
we, something happens, right? You get down a path, and this is usually when the intervention starts happening, you get down a path that you don't even know yourself anymore. You're like, this is not what I set out to be. This is not who I set out to be and to be to the people around me. You end up losing yourself. So um, we'll get more to that in a second. So we are drawing out the significant moments and actions of Jesus. He came to introduce something new to the world, not Judaism 2.0, as they were hoping in that time that Jesus was coming to do, uh, not a second half of a book, right? So a lot of they treat like, oh, was it Tolkien? Is he writing another novel? Great. When book sales are going to go up. No, that wasn't what he was coming to do, just to introduce the second half of the thing that we, did, we wanted to finish, right? Um, he, this was something that was new for the world, a new covenant, a new command, and a new movement, which for people can be terrifying at times. So from the beginning, it was evident of those who were tied up and attached and built their life around the old ways. And Jesus was introducing something new, something brand new. And when humans are introduced to something new, what do they do? They resist, right? This is where we get racism and a lot of terrible things like that. The things that we don't understand, we resist it, we hate it, we try to push it away, right? And so that's kind of where, where we were ending up in. So last week, Hannah did an amazing job of bringing it to us. John the Baptist drew a crowd. He was a little crazy, the right kind of crazy. He ate bugs. He probably smelled. His hair was everywhere, you know, all that. And he, he got crowds gathering, and he, he coined baptism. That's why we call it baptism. John the Baptist. Uh, he's, he started it. And, uh, and to the, some point, Jesus came along. And he ended up in this moment where he had the opportunity to reveal to everybody, that's him. The one that you've been waiting for is right there. And he says, look, it's not make-believe. Look at the Lamb of God. Powerful, powerful moment. And then in that moment, it would have made complete sense, and nobody would have argued with it. If the instantly, the I don't even know what you call them, but, you know, the things that you lift people up on is like a board and got, you know, handles and people lift them up and they carry them. If that would have showed up, it was a golden throne and a crown and they would have put him on him and get him to the temple quick. He's got some Judaism to do, you know, that kind of stuff. That, that would have, everybody would have been like, this makes total sense. But he did something different. Instead of that happening, he insisted that John baptize him. For him to step down and lower himself, because I guarantee you, in our standards and any kind of standards you could make up, John was not equipped or qualified or high up enough or special enough, even though he did all these great things, to even put the God of the universe sandals on him. But he insisted, Jesus insisted that John baptize him as well, just like he did everybody else. Introducing this upside-down kingdom, this other's first kingdom. And this was the first clue to the upside-down nature of this new thing that he was going to be bringing. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke each state that immediately following this baptism, Jesus was led into the wilderness. And so we're going to be going through Matthew 4, 1 through 10. So if you're 
you know, you got your Bible app or whatever, you got the analog version with the pages, you know, open it up with me if you want, or it's on the screen. So Matthew 4.1, we start out, and we're going to be walking through this scripture together, so be patient with me, please. Uh, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, the Greek devil, right? So for our English terms, we say devil. Uh, in the Greek, it's diabolos, diabolos. And this matters, and I'm bringing this up for a reason, because in the Greek, the definition for diabolos is that he's diabolical, a slanderer, an accuser. And uh, it seems strange, but it's important to what, what we're walking through. And it's not, this portion of scripture, even though it's accounted to that a lot of the time, it's not necessarily a teaching on how to get over temptation, right? How to deal with temptation in your life. Although we could derive from it that how do you get past temptation, right? How do you deal with temptation in your life? That's not the true reason why this was written, we scholars believe. It's something much, much, much bigger than that. Way bigger than, than something that we usually can understand. Jesus is tempted to opt in to the old way, the way things were happening on earth at this time, the me first way or the other kingdoms of the world way. So we'll continue on. Uh, uh, verse 2, it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I've always read this and I'm like, duh, right? You, know, you kind of read that and you're like, if I fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, I would probably be dead to be honest with you, okay? Because I like food. I can't go 40 minutes without thinking about food because we live in such a great city with awesome booths, tacos. My mouth is watering just talking about it. In saying it, it might be because it's getting close to lunchtime. Don't worry, I know that. Um, it's so, uh, it says he was hungry. Now, there's a reason why it stated this. It was stating the nature, the human nature of Jesus was depleted, vulnerable, right? And so that, that was, it was trying to help us see that. Jesus was human. He's weak and vulnerable in this moment because he's gone 40 days uh, um, in fasting. And it was as if he was saying to the tempter, he was saying to Diabolos, to, to the devil, saying, give me your best shot. You're not going to find me at a more vulnerable spot. Bring it. That's what he's basically saying to the devil. I kind of feel that's what's happening here. And then verse 3, it says, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, knowing he's starving, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He's like saying, hey, if you're really Jesus, right, if you got this power, just speak it into existence. Make a nice, you know, rye loaf or a sourdough bread or something like that. You know, something that really just speaks to your stomach. You know, that need, that vulnerability that you're having right now. He's really trying to buy into that. If you're truly you, do it. Because he knows in this time, mortal kings would have done so. Mortal kings wouldn't have gone half a day. As soon as their belly started grumbling, bring me the food. Bring it forth. So 40 days and 40 nights, he's trying to tempt him with this. And then Jesus answered, it is written. Now, him saying, it is written. He's saying, hey, it's, it's kind of in place already. I, this isn't new what I'm about to tell you. It is written. I'm just going to remind you what it says. One of the common misconceptions that we have about the devil, Diablo, Satan, whatever you want to call him, 
um, is that we don't like to believe that he's real. And most of the time what we think de- the devil is, is he's not. He's not, he doesn't have a red pitchfork and a tail, you know, and he, he's going behind the corner. You know, he's not, he's not causing mischief and things like that. He is a fallen angel. If we were to look at Satan, we might think he's beautiful. I, I, I don't know because he's a fallen angel that was jealous of God and wanted God's power and control. And God said, you can't hang out here anymore sent him to earth and gave him dominion over earth. And so when it comes to the devil, and this might hurt your feelings, and I'm sorry, and I know in our culture, and I love saying it too, you say things like, not today, Satan. You know, you guys say stuff like that because you think that Satan is just after you. This is going to be hard to hear. Satan doesn't really care about you. You are collateral damage to the devil. He is more interested in hurting God than caring about anything that you have going on. So that flat tire that you got that you thought was the devil, he might have enjoyed it, but it probably necessarily wasn't him, right? But if he can cause you to separate from God, so the only way that he knows that he can truly hurt God is to hurt the things that he loves because he can't touch God. God's too powerful. Right? He's too, too almighty, too powerful. He sent him out of heaven. He has no control over that, right? And so in trying to hurt God, he wants to hurt his creation. So you are merely collateral damage. So if you think that Satan is just after you and he's just trying to hurt me, no, 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 no. He's using you to hurt God, right? So don't, you're not the main character. Don't think that highly uh, of yourself. And I, sound, I know that sounds bad, but that is the truth of the situation and where we're at. So he's telling him, give it your best shot. And then Jesus comes back and says, it is written. And when he says it is written, he's responding from a position that is understandable. He's referencing the old covenant set up between God and Israel. So we continue on in verse 4. It says, man shall not live on bread alone. Now he's quoting what we call Deuteronomy 8. And see, God providing manna for the people of Israel in the desert. And it was through that process, the nation of God was being trained and transformed to having a daily dependence on God. Something that we have gotten far too uh, away from, right? That we, we tend to think that we're our own gods. We're our own control because of technology and our bank accounts and all that. We think we were in control. But truly, he is in control. And so this daily dependency tells us, I really don't own anything. I, I get to manage what God has given me to manage. I, I get an opportunity to manipulate and manage things here on earth. Some of it for my benefit, or I can make it all for me and be completely selfish, but truly, I don't control any of it. I'm just here and being a part of it. And so that's where that daily dependency comes on. So continuing in verse 4, it says, But on every word, that comes from the mouth of God. So man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's saying, I will not, I will not act independently or in my own interest. If it all is God's and it's all his, that means that my next action will not serve me. It might benefit me, but it will not serve me. Because I am not the main character here. I am not the one in control. I will not act independently or on my own behalf. Because that is a kingdom of the world 
approach. That is what the kingdoms did here on earth. And temptation is always an invitation to act on our own behalf. Continue on in verse 5. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. So it's the highest point on the southeast corner of the city. He's staring kind of down into the valley. And Josephus uh, says, he's a first century historian. He says, at this point, you look down and it makes you dizzy, right? If you're afraid of heights, just me talking about the highest point, you're already getting woozy, okay? Calm down. You're here with us. You're close to the ground. You're close to the dirt. But even me, I'm not really afraid of heights. And I go to a point that's high enough, my knees begin to wobble. And I get a little nervous. And I think about, man, if I fell, I think I would die before I hit the ground, right? I would just lose oxygen, okay? And, and, and so he said it was dizzying. Like it was something to view in, in kind of its majesty, right? Um, and then continue on in verse 6, it says, If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He's saying to Jesus, do you not trust your father? If you're truly the son of God, you don't think that he's going to help you? Prove it. Throw yourself down. Jump off. The temptation was to invoke the power of God unnecessarily. To, to show everybody that he is truly in control. This is kind of like the modern version of faith for us. That um, it's, We call it prosperity gospel here in America. Uh, but it's like if you ask for it, he'll give it to you. If you believe hard enough, right? And it's kind of like the American model of like, go for your dreams and get it all. You want to be a star, be a star, right? Until you become a star and you realize this is not that great, okay? There's a lot of things going on that I don't really want to be a part of. And so he's basically trying to push him, give him a little nudge to get him out of character, to do something that wasn't in his character. Right? So in verse 7, continue on, it says, Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now he's quoting Moses' warning about telling God what he must do because of who they are. Right? You don't boss God around. That's, that's not something that exists. The moment you try to force God to do your bidding, you're practicing magic. You're trying to be a sorcerer. You're trying to control a power that is out of your control, and you don't understand the depths of it. You might as well call yourself David Blaine, because it's not real. It is a superstition religion. Anybody that walks around, and I walk into, you know, scenarios of people and all sorts of things, and they think that they're going to command the, the hand of God to do something. I'm like, <laughs> that's funny. You can ask him. I don't know if he'll do it, but you can ask him. He might, but it's all on him. He is truly the one that's controlled. You're no longer practicing Christianity. You're practicing magic, and frankly, it's called paganism. That is pagan religion. And you're like, oh, there's pagans today? Yes, today. In most of our churches, there's a lot of pagans in, in church who are going through the motions, doing the right things, being told something, thinking that they have more control than they really have, that they can invoke the power of God at their own will. That is a lie. That is not real, and that is not truly Christ-following. That's not what that is. 
It's a kingdoms of this world religion. So after the first two temptations, then, he comes, then comes the main event. But first, let's talk about us. Okay, Why are powerful people so inclined to go off the rails? When a, when a person gets power, I was going to say man, but I don't want to be sexist. You know, women are just as capable. <laughs> you know, it's, this is a no holds bar for humans. When you get into power, what causes humans to derail? Like they started out with good intentions, and then at some point it's like, how did you turn into what this is, right? So morally they derail, ethically they derail, financially they derail. What is behind bullying, entitlement, sexual harassment, arrogance, dismissiveness, elitism, extravagant consumerism, and greed, and the list can go on and on and on. Because collectively as humans, we would go logically, those are all bad, and we should not do those things anymore. But they're still happening. They still occur every day, right now, as I'm speaking, there's a chance that some human is being taken advantage of. Inside the church walls, sexually harassed, diminished, pushed in a different direction, that kind of stolen from in some form or fashion. On the day that we are to worship, do you know that Sundays are the most segregated days of the month? Or, I mean, I'm sorry, of the week? Did you know that? Isn't that wild? It should not be that way. But it is. Why is that? Why, when people get power, they go off the rails? See, throughout uh, Jesus' life, he taught and modeled that power is not primarily for the benefit of the powerful. I'll say that again. Power is not primarily for the benefit of the powerful. Wealth is not primarily for the benefit of the wealthy. Influence is not primarily uh, for the benefit of the influential. It's not. Throughout his life, Jesus was tempted to reverse, reverse course, to claim what he could claim. And if he did that, all of us humans would go, makes sense, because I would do the same, because we're flawed, we're sinful, we're selfish by nature. So down to verse 8, it says, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. Where is that mountain? I'm not really sure. I didn't do the research on that part, but it's got to be a tall one. Okay, I can tell you that. So that he's going to see a lot. So he showed Jesus the view of Jerusalem. It's sparkling and twinkling, and it's all of its splendor. And it was as if the tempter said, feast your eyes. Look at it. Isn't it look nice? This is kind of like where it gets real slimy sales pitch, right? He's like, look at all of it. Doesn't it look great? Don't you want it all, right? Don't you need the new shiny thing? Or don't you want to control all of it, right? It's this slimy sales pitch. And this is what he says to him. In verse 9, he says, all this I'll give to you. All this. You can have it. You can have everything. I will give you all the authority and the splendor. It has been given to me because it was. Satan was given dominion on earth. It was given to me, and I can give it to anybody I want to. Isn't that what you came for? Isn't that what everybody wants? To be recognized, to be first, to be most powerful? 
Come on, Jesus, doesn't it look good? Doesn't it sound good? Doesn't it seem like it'll taste good? There's no problems in it. This is like the slimy sales pitch. This is, the next sentence is like, in three easy payments, which is never easy. It's never easy payments, right? Because you miss one, it changes things, okay? Three easy payments. This is what he says to him. If you will bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. I'll give it all to you. <laughs> I got a new watch. I, I'm still figuring it out. Um, <laughs> he says, I will give it all to you. If, if, no matter, don't worry about it. This will all be great. If, if you bow down and worship me. Remember when I told you that all Satan cares about is hurting God? If he could, I, I understand why he took a shot. And logically, I get it. It makes sense that Satan took his shot, right, to deceive and try to tempt Jesus. Because if he could get God's only son to turn against him, that would be the ultimate hurt for God. He would cause so much pain to God, and he would love it. And then Jesus would become collateral damage. You can have it all. Who refuses what is rightfully theirs and what they are entitled to? Who refuses that kind of thing? Great people do. Great people see something that they could be owed and says, no, I'm not going to take it all for myself. I'm going to share it with others. That's what great people do, and they're few and far between. Um, it's those moments that you hear about it, and it instantly brings you to tears. It's those moments that are so selfless that they must be above human or operating in something above human because every other human would do the selfish thing. It's in those moments that we find these create. Like, you have to write a movie script to really capture it. I went and saw a movie this last week, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. You can go see it if you want. It's really good, very awesome. I almost cried five times. No, I did. I started crying five times. And I don't cry. That's a big deal, okay? Usually in a movie, it's really gut-wrenching. I'll start to crying, and I'll stop, and I won't cry again. Five separate times. I must be broken now. I'm like, I've been depleted but what I can do, next five months, I'm not a tear is going to come out of my eye. I don't have a smaller tear duct than anybody else. I don't know. We'll figure that out later. But it's in those moments that you know, wow, this is amazing, right? So selfless. Jesus had not come to barter for a kingdom. He came to establish one in the hearts of people. It would be one of conscience, a kingdom like no other. It would be an upside-down kingdom compared to all the kingdoms of the world. Subjects are, are not a means to the ends for a selfish king, but not required to lay down their lives for a selfish king, but a kingdom where a king lays down his life for his subjects. This was unheard of. This was new to the scene. It was something that was confusing. Then in verse 10, he says, Jesus said to them, said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jumping over to Luke, Luke 4, 13, uh, 13 through 14, it says, When the devil had finished all his tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He wasn't done. <laughs> He's still working today. He's still trying to give that slimy sales pitch to any human that would take it. He missed his shot with Jesus. Doesn't mean he's going to try to stop. He still wants to hurt God. 
Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. And then just for fun, I guess in, perhaps in just spite of the devil, and I say that it, you know, kind of funny because there was big meaning and purpose to it, he went to a wedding and turned water to wine. <laughs> He's like, no, nah, I'm not going to turn a, a stone to bread, but I'm going to turn water to wine, you know, all because of his mom asked him to. That's really why, as, as far as we can tell, that's why he did it, right? There was purpose and meaning because even the, the things that were like didn't seem like anything had purpose and meaning because he's God, he's Jesus, right? And so he went in and he did that, and I thought that was pretty funny. And then Jesus was offered what we want, but he refused it. He was offered what we want, but he refused it. He had not come to take over but he came to take away the sins of the world. He had not come to lord over, but to lower himself. Lowered himself for the burdens of mankind that we were not worthy of. And we see in Scripture, in Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom to many. Now, now, understanding the temptation and the opportunity that Jesus had, it makes that scripture far more powerful, right? That he didn't come to be served, but to serve. The Lord of the universe came to serve and not to be served and to be as a ransom for all of these humans who did not deserve it. That's way more powerful than just a temptation story, right? Isn't that a—it's amazing, I have this, you know, you can accept it if you want. It's not in Scripture, but I call it a philosophy. Um, it's, that's my name and philosophy together, if you didn't catch that. Um, uh, and it's going to sound weird. I, I do a lot of funerals, okay? I, I perform them. I, I, I not perform them. I speak at them. <laughs> I thought you perform a funeral. <laughs> I speak at them. I, I attend them. And I've done a lot of them. I've done more of those than weddings, which is really weird. But um, I like funerals. I know that sounds funny because people are so sad at funerals, but because it's absolute to me. Funerals are absolute. There is no continuation. This person's life, there's a beginning and there's an end, right? And so then you have this absolute picture of what they were on earth, good and bad. And I, and I like the funerals that are honest, right? They come forward and they, and they say, well, they tried their best. They were a good parent, and they did these things, or, or they were a good co-worker, right? And then, but then they're honest. They're like, but man, they like to get on their soapbox, right? And they, they kind of, like, man, they, like, they love their boat, you know, that kind of stuff. They're real honest about who they are, not trying to bash them, but just being real and the absolute nature. And I, I love it because there's no more wandering. There's no wandering, waiting for the other shoe to drop to go, man, they've done so good, but they're going to do this next thing, and it's going to ruin their image. Their image is sealed. It's done, right? And then we talk about them, even though they might have hurt us. And then we talk about it in a way. We talk about the good and the bad, but ultimately good, and we're thankful. We came to the funeral to show respect because we're thankful for their life. I like to believe that's the way Jesus viewed us. Because if he would have judged us in a sinful moment, we would not have blamed him for giving in to the temptation. But thankfully, he saw us as absolute, not just in a moment, but in everything that we could do. Do you know what Jesus considered more important than the kingdoms of this world? It was you. 
when he was tempted, with all of us would have took it, he was doing it for you. Not the people at that time, just that time, but beyond, in perpetual future, until God decides to do something else with humanity in this earth. He did it for you. Doesn't that make it much more powerful? What he thought about, what hung in the balance of Jesus' decision to resist the many kingdoms of the world was you. You are in, when it says the ransom for many, you are the many. It is you. You are a part of that. What hangs in the balance for a decision to resist embracing a self-centered ways of kingdoms, it was you. And thankfully, he looked at you in absolute, not just a moment. He knew that someday you would be sitting here listening to this big dummy right here try his best to surmise what Jesus is trying to tell us so that you can have a moment and go, man, he resisted that temptation for me? Wow. So much more powerful so much more meaningful, so much more significant. Because when it comes to these things, he gave us an ultimate lesson that we find in Luke 9.25. It says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their life, lose their soul? What good is it? So in this new upside-down kingdom, the first would be last and the last would be first. Power would be leveraged for the powerless. Wealth would be leveraged for those in need. Influence would be leveraged for those without a voice. We just encapsulated audacious generosity right there. That's why we have that. That's why we do action groups. It's not for us. And to us, we can look good and get in the paper and get awards. We get them, not because we want them. It's because that's a part of life. It's so baffling and, and shocking that a group of people would go do something so selfless for another group of people with nothing in benefit that they have to hand you awards because nobody else is doing it. That's God's kingdom that he established here on earth in our hearts, in every one of us. And unfortunately, in this time with Jesus and to this day, it will not sit well with the powerful, wealthy, and influential. And we naturally, as humans, because we're selfish by nature, because of sin, we resist it. We don't understand it. And essentially, because we can't control it, we fight against it. Religion and government would conspire together to destroy Jesus. They would be outmaneuvered by Jesus. Thank God, right? They would be outmaneuvered in the end, but before we get there, there's a lot more to tell you. There's a lot more significant moments. So stick with us through this collection. If you miss a Sunday, listen to it online. Because I hope that when we get to the end of this, you will see the moments of Christ, not just as moments that you get to celebrate and go, oh, how cool is God? But go, not only how cool is God, but he did all that for me. And who am I? to hold this to myself, that this gift is so powerful and so overwhelming that I need to share it with everybody that I can, anybody that will listen. That's where I want you to be because that's where the apostles were when they saw it happen right before their eyes. And you have that ability as well. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing.
any one of us, any human in history would have taken the devil's offer. Sometimes I wonder if they had. (laughs) There's some people that are so powerful and so corrupt that I'm wondering if they made a special deal with you, a special meeting. I don't know. But Jesus, you saw us in our absolute nature and loved us anyways and saw us as more important than the power that could be handed over to you. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you for resisting the temptation. Thank you for fighting against it. Thank you for that we, this is written down. This is accounted for so that we can review it today and go, man, Jesus really does love us in a way that I could never measure or account for. So thank you. So this week, Lord, as we are tempted, I pray that it brings remembrance back to you and how you resisted that temptation for us. And so then that we would feel that strength and that power and feel that you inside of the Holy Spirit filling us up and we get to resist it as well in the name of our Creator. When we tell Satan, not today, it's not for us. It's for you because of what you did. So thank you. Bless all of us as we go. Bless Village Heights. In your name I pray. Amen.